Welcome to For Fox 8, my name is Pete Selby and Rob, no fun and games, straight into it. How are you? You are alright? We've been and lost some football matches, haven't we? <laughs> yes, we have. It's been it's been dreadful. So, this is going to be the podcast where we're going to be optimistic, we're going to be on the front foot, we're going to be looking forward. Of course we're not. We're going to be uh, not drowning our sorrows, he says, with a, with a, with a Moretti in front of me, so... Uh, uh, out of a a Longwatton beer festival mug as well, um, yeah, it's been it's been dreadful. Uh, but there's actually some breaking news as we record this. Um, I don't know whether you've seen this actually, Rob, because you have just got back from um, dropping your better off in town. So um, Leicester have just announced pre uh, pre tax losses of ninety two point five million for the year ending. The end of May 2022, um, which is an increase of 61.3 million from 2021. Uh, so instantly, you kind of set the alarm bells kind of ringing there. Um, just to give some context, the Leicester have basically said that uh, the club has retained primary playing assets with uh, making further significant investment in player acquisitions and salaries. And that was the primary factor in the loss. Uh, essentially, you've got uh, an increase during that time of gate receipts from basically nothing to 21 million because of COVID. Uh, the wage bill went down by uh, 11 million. So, if you've got an increase of 21 million and then the wage bill goes down by 11, that's 32 million in your back pocket. It shows you how much they spent. Also, they say that uh, there's been additional investments in both uh, the facilities at Beaver Drive and to professionalise the women's uh, team and the girls' operation. And uh, Susan Whelan basically says uh, we have basically been in, in, investing. They've got a strategy on the go. And uh, basically, that's it, really. Um, the one thing with it, though, is you can easily say is that um, the Fafana money is not included. So if you were just to tally up that, there wasn't any major player sales that time around. And then you've got... The spending big money really on Bibikari Samari and Pats and Dakar and lots of Vestergaard, etc. So that's where the money's gone, and there wasn't any money coming back. Still, overall, it means that we're still a loss making club because you make thirty million pounds on gate receipts and also uh, the the eleven million pound that I mentioned. So it, it, it a reduction in wages. So it, it just shows you that Leicester basically will be making a loss every year, but. That Fafana money should reasonably balance that out, but it's still quite eye watery, isn't it? The the numbers are ridiculous because as soon as you said that loss, I was like, "Wow, that's a lot of money." And then I thought about it in terms of how many Premier League players, that, like really top quality Premier League players, you'd get for that kind of money, and it's like one and a half, isn't it? That the the kind of money we're talking about is ridiculous. But I don't think anybody in their right mind buys a football club with the idea of making a profit out of it. It's done for profile and uh, 
and sport, really, isn't it? No, nobody can make any money out of running a football club. No, not at all. Uh, so, so there we go. We know that um, a lot of money was put back into the club, you know, removing debts essentially, you know, a couple of months ago or a few weeks back, which it seems that a number of clubs are doing the same. I noticed that Forest did something very similar. But, um, yeah, that's what we're about and that's why they didn't splash the money essentially last summer obviously they spent a bit in the January transfer window they needed to but uh, hopefully with the Fafana money that they'll be including in the next round of uh, of of statements of uh, of, of yearly budget and then it, it should kind of half work itself out but I don't put it this way. What I'm thinking is, I don't think it really makes any difference to what the plans are this summer, because there's going to be so many players leave. The wage bill is going to come right down. They're going to get money for certain players, like say a Madison or or maybe one or two who go. So I don't think it really affects the plans for this summer. But it just shows you again that a club like Leicester, they are they a selling club? Well, yes. There you go. There's there's your prime example of why they are. Because if they turn around and spend any money in the transfer window, and as you said, you need to spend money, a lot of money, to get a half-decent player. And we haven't quite done that, really, in, in recent times, especially last summer. Um, or the summer before. It, it, it just shows you, doesn't it, then uh, Leicester do need to kind of offload a player every year and to basically keep going, to keep going on a, a roughly even keel. It does, and it's something that the club, I think, have managed very well uh, with the kind of marquee sale in most of the summer windows. You know, you think of uh, the amount of money you get for players like uh, Mares and, and Chilwell, etc., for Farnham, the most recent of those. And by and large, they have reinvested the, the majority of that in the playing squad. And, you know, the the recruitment... It's it's probably not not as good as it was in the Nigel Pearson uh, Steve Walsh era. Uh, there's been a few misses fairly recently, um, but usually as a club and 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 if we're looking in the sort of mid-term history of of player sales and purchases, especially when you consider the amount of clear profit made on those players that we've sold for big money, then as as a business it does make sense. I can understand why it's frustrating because you know we want to every every club wants to keep their best players to see just how far they can go how high up the the league they can finish if they can get into Europe and or, or win cup competitions but ultimately Leicester are never going to have that global pull that massive commercial arm that that the the big big clubs have got so they have to balance the books somehow and it can't just keep coming from the rich owner paying off the debts. Uh, it's got to come from from the management of your assets. I mean, in any other business, I know these are human beings we're talking about, but if we remove the human element, they are assets that are worth something to the business. And if your business needs to balance its books and you've got this asset that you can sell for X million pounds and it's a good deal for everybody, then unfortunately that's the situation we're in uh, i think what we would we would look at is who are you getting what are you doing with that money who are you getting in for that money because some of the recent signings yes okay the, the there have been some restraints but some of the recent signings have been 
fairly underwhelming and after maybe a couple of positive performances people are thinking oh hang on was was this the right the right kind of move you've also got those players that are out in the cold you know like Vestergaard god knows how much he's on um and players misfiring or not getting a, a sniff like Daka Samari doesn't doesn't look Premier League quality and he's had a, a couple of years now to settle in so fine we're going to be a selling club I understand that uh, if we can keep making profit from that to reinvest in the squad fine but we are at a point where the squad is going to be overhauled very soon and the recruitment needs to be better the money needs to be spent more wisely doesn't it yeah it does it, it really does you look at a club like say Brighton and when they ship off a player to Chelsea essentially they they, they basically buy anyone don't they for well if anyone from anyone in the world at the moment but anyone who has pulled on a blue and white shirt to Brighton or a, or a blue and white of of Leicester uh, they'll uh, they'll buy notice obviously the the goal of the weekend was uh, a Chilwell cross for Fafana but um it's and but at the moment what they have is they have players who can then slot in they they kind of have a not a scattergun approach, but you know where I'm coming from that, where they will buy a load of players for four to five million quid, for example. And then if they don't work out, they can be moved on or they can be kept in the system. And all of a sudden, if they come good, then they can go for mega money. Um, Kukurea, for example, goes for, for mega money. And then Casado was going to go for mega money. Both signed for relative pittance, really, only a year before. So that's what they've been doing, and but they've managed to get these players. Their scouting setup is is obviously a bit more wide range and hitting the target more than Leicester at the moment. But anyway, that's all to come. Really, I don't think it's about the players. We've been focusing on the players who haven't been performing. Maybe those who have been, say, brought into the club, like Samari we've mentioned in recent weeks, etc. Um. So two results that we've got to discuss, um, and they are, I think, Rob. They're, well, first of all, they're both nightmarish, aren't they? You lose to Blackburn in the FA Cup fifth round at home, and then you look at what the quarterfinal lineup is, and you just think that was a massive chance to get through to a semi-final. Once you're in the semi-final, you can go and win the competition. And then you go and play bottom of the league Southampton in a very strange game. But you end up losing 1-0. Two very, very damaging results. And two performances that are unbelievably worrying. For many reasons on the pitch. For many reasons off the pitch. Um, but the, really, uh, we'll start with Blackburn. I will say right now. And I will not even... I'm not going to mention his age. And I'm not going to mention you know, local and, you know, he's short of confidence and all this sort of thing. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But he's a professional footballer and he's, you know, not too far off turning 22. I'm pretty sure that was one of the worst 45 minutes I've seen from a Leicester player, uh, possibly for well over a decade. I remember Kevin Ellison was a particular favourite of mine being basically the worst player I've ever seen. Uh, I think Luke Thomas's first half against Blackburn rivals anything that he did or junior lewis ever did that was appalling the guy is at, i said at half time at the king power um first i'm amazed 
he appeared at, um, for the second half. Absolutely staggered. More on that in a minute. But that was one of the worst first halves I've seen. The guy's gone. He 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 doesn't he doesn't need to be anywhere near the first team at the moment. Um, not being able to kick the ball straight, completely losing the ability to keep with a man, keep in line, forgot his position, weak in the tackle, completely frightened to do anything going forward or with the ball, passing sideways and backwards, which I know a lot of players did. But and then at the end of the first half, again, just just completely slicing the ball. And, you know, when he got subbed, there was cheers, uh, etc. But um, that was terrible. There were so many players who were off. But I'm absolutely staggered he wasn't taken off at half-time. That's a big claim. Worst Leicester performance in a decade. And you've, you've reeled off probably from, uh, well, definitely from uh, longer ago than a decade. But you've reeled off some uh, some of Leicester's low low points, really, in, in terms of... Uh, in terms of Ability-wise, uh, I've got to say a player in particular that sticks in my mind as being not even being a footballer really. He looked like a bouncer. He looked like somebody that they just grabbed from hospitality security or something. Josh Lowe, he was. I think he only played for the team because he was about six foot three, and that Leicester had no other way of getting up the pitch. So they used to just ping a diagonal out to him on the right wing, and he was scared ru- of the ball. He was rubbish at everything else, wasn't he? He was even rubbish at heading, but he, he had a better chance than most because he was a bit taller. They, they were dark days. Yeah, Luke Thomas has has struggled this season, hasn't he? Uh, he had his breakthrough during COVID when you know there was little other option than to put him in the team. You know, if he's the best left back in the academy, and you haven't got any left backs, you don't really have a choice but to put him in the team. Um, Football was different during COVID. Obviously, you haven't got the pressure of the crowds, etc. Um, but he's he looks very much lost at the moment in the first team. We've we've spoken about him before and said, look, let's keep keep him in the, at the at the moment. You need to keep him in the squad as a backup option because then you've got him and Christensen as the left backs and Castagna and, uh, and Ricardo as the right backs, and that's in terms of numbers wise, that's sufficient ish cover. Although our history with fullback injuries over the last couple of years isn't great. But then you you look in the summer, and I'm sure we said this on the last podcast or the one before. You look to recruit a proper first team fullback, and you send him off on a season long loan into the championship, and that sink or swim moment. That because if he doesn't have a good spell there and he can't handle it in the championship, then then there's no chance he's a Premier League footballer. He's become a Premier League footballer by proxy, really, because he was in the academy at a Premier League team like Leicester. He got that chance through the injuries. And then he did all right. He he, he did fine. Uh, but a few years ago, especially when he first broke into the team, it was kind of, oh, yeah, young lad. You know, everyone's willing him to do well. We're a club. We were talking about being a selling club earlier. We're a club where we've got so much pride in our homegrown players. We've, we've produced some excellent players through our academy over the years. And there's no doubt at all that the fans wanted him to do well. But we are a few years in now, and as you said, Pete, he's nearing 22. He's not a child anymore. He needs to stop looking like a child on a football pitch, and that's exactly what he looked like against championship opposition in midweek last week. Yeah, he did. And, um, yeah, he should be nowhere near the first team. At his current state, teams playing well, 
maybe that covered for a lot of his performances before that. But, you know, there's obviously a half-decent player in there somewhere, but it's way deep down. He needs to go on loan somewhere, but again, because of what you said regarding injuries. And Christiansen is now injured, injured in training out for four weeks. So Castagna is going to have to play at left-back because there's no way that um, Thomas can play. And then Ricardo in at full-back right-back, and hopefully he can stay fit. But the, the performance was an absolute shocker. It was dreadful. Full credit to Blackburn. They were they were good, but they were good as in they were solid, and then you had uh, Dolan looked a, a useful player. And then it had the grit and determination of a, of a Schmodix who bundled his way through some very weak tackles for what the eventual winner. But Leicester were just devoid of any idea. It was painfully painfully slow in midfield and the whole Samari debate if he can't perform against Blackburn he's not going to do it in the Premier League they're no mugs Blackburn but they're no Premier League outfit at the current time so that destroys that um, Dewsbury Hall's distribution has, has, has gone to pot in recent uh, performances in recent weeks and no idea why Mendy didn't start no idea why they didn't just go for their bang first team Tete looked useful but was criminally underpassed to which is a, you know whether it's a word or not but you know what I mean he wasn't given the ball enough um and we couldn't put the ball in the back of the net it was terrible the the defense was poor but the the one thing was and and this is a, a huge criticism of Rogers and Rogers's teams over the the years at Leicester when it's gone wrong is that there seems to be a plan A and then there is no plan B at all. Plan B is maybe replace a few players for like for like, etc. But really, that might be too late or will make no impact. That's really been the case of Rogers. Here we have a goalkeeper in Everson who was okay. I, I, I do blame him uh, slightly for the second um, or for chances because end of the day his he shouldn't really be passing to the likes of Samari in that position but Samari should have done an awful lot better but anyway you then got Amati and you've got Volt Vass alongside him and we've seen them two play well together with Ward but the way that they were playing with Thomas who was almost you couldn't pass the ball to him so Amati's trying to play at the out the back like Franz Beckenbauer he's trying to play the way that they've been training. Stay out wide from the goal kicks, play it short, etc. But it's Daniel Amati. We know what he's like. He can block, he can head, and he can tackle. But that's about it. it don't tell him to play this way. You've got to adapt to the team that you've got. So when it comes to defenders, get it forward. Get it forward either quicker or direct or pass to a blue shirt. Don't pass inside, Daniel, the way we've been working on in training. Because Blackburn are going to figure this out. They're no mugs. But don't try and be that player. Don't try and be the player that you're not. Play to your strengths. One of the big things about, say, the O'Neill era was you play to your strengths. And that's not his strength. And what happened? It cost us a goal. And we're behind in the game. And then after that, it was just painful to watch. The second goal was sheer desire. Smodix should have been tackled on a couple of occasions. After you, Claude, from Ricardo, who... I've seen a few reviews and a few comments about the game. Uh, when Leicester scored, Ricardo burst into life for all of three minutes and then he was substituted because that was going to be the plan and 
you can understand that, and I think the crowd certainly understood that because it was his, his, his game back. But before that, I thought was really off it and very poor. And I blame him an awful lot for that second goal. You know, bundling his way through Amati with not, no one tackling. No one having the desire of Osmotics to tackle. And then they could have scored so many more. Um, I don't understand. With, with Everson, he made some good saves. Again, another performance. And I think those people listening to this podcast who have seen Everson play, I, I can't understand why he's not playing in the first team. I, I just don't. I don't get it at all. And we'll come on to the goal against Southampton. I don't get it. Leicester then score. Ian Acho comes on and then instantly tries to do everything himself, which was wrong. But but he looked. He was the impetus for getting back in the game. At least he cared. He showed that he cared. More on him in a bit. But it was awful. I, when they scored, when Leicester scored, I thought they were going to win. I thought, right, here we go. I mean, at one point we had Daka, Vardy and Ian Acho on the pitch. But they just couldn't create anything. And it was... A deserved win for Blackburn, but what a way to bow out the FA Cup. If you draw Man City in the next round, then okay. But come on, like, come on. Why Mendy wasn't playing, God knows. No idea from the start. The first team should have been okay. They should have been fine. But it just highlights what we've been saying in recent weeks over certain players. But with Rodgers, I blame him for the starting lineup. That is after timing. At the time beforehand, I was like, okay, this should be enough. Absolutely no idea. Answers on a postcard, please. Why changes were not made at half time? What the hell was going on? How he allowed Thomas to go back out at half after half time, I've got no idea. Now, I'm all for the, the description of you lot have got us into this mess. Now go and get us out of it, or you've got. Great, okay, I can understand that. Not in this game. They needed to be changes. Make changes now. Sort the game out. I'm a massive believer in playing your first team. If you're comfortable in the game, then you can bring players off after an hour. Or maybe even at half-time. You might be two or three goals up. And you think, okay, Papi Mendy, you can come off and Samari can come on. Even if it's 2-0 or something like that. But to not make those changes at half-time, no idea. Absolutely no idea why that happened and we go out to the FA Cup in and it's it sounds terrible I've got a few mates who are Blackburn fans and um, and you've got to give full respect to them but this is Leicester I that was a dreadful way to exit the Cup it was and it is well was past tense the only thing left this season that had any chance of giving any kind of feel-good factor back to Leicester City fans. Because, as you said, one game away from a, a Wembley semi-final then, a very winnable game. And, you know, if, you, if you're going down to Wembley for a semi-final, regardless of your league position, you, you're going down with a bit of a bounce in your step. You're thinking, oh, yeah, look at this. We had a taste of this a couple of years ago, you know, won the FA Cup. This is this is where Leicester want to be. Business end of big tournaments, uh, days out to Wembley, memories to be made that kind of thing and then you you whimper out on a Tuesday night at home to a championship opponent and that is that that dream is gone and now the only thing the the only thing is surviving in the Premier League I don't think that the FA Cup would have provided a distraction uh in terms of a negative one away from the 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 task in hand I think it would have given everybody a lift 
and would have given Leicester more opportunity to sort of, as I said, create that that feel good factor. From a footballing point of view, it was it was very painful because Blackburn are doing all right in the in the Championship. You know, it's very tight again in terms of who's going to get into the playoff places, but they'll be feeling reasonably confident. You go away on a Tuesday night to a Premier League side who you know are struggling, and you think, right, if we get at these, we're, we're going to cause them some bother. And they did to a point, but they never created their own goals. We conceded two goals that we absolutely gifted to them. Make no mistake about that. The the the, the insistence on... I won't swear in case anybody listens to this with kids in the background, but on messing around with it in, in our half when clearly at the moment the players are devoid of the confidence and quality required to do that is is exactly what you've said there, Pete. It's Brendan Rodgers absolutely hell-bent on playing his only plan of football and refusing to do anything else about it. Daniel Amati's not a ball-playing footballer. He came to the club having played a lot of his football in central midfield or right back, but that was in the Belgian league. And... He's very quickly been realised that, look, he can edit, he can kick it, he can get in the way. He's only good for centre-back cover, that's it. And yet he's trying these ridiculous passes. Uh, And Rodgers comes out at the end and says, oh yeah, yeah, it's poor decision-making. Yes, it is. But if you don't plant the seed in Daniel Amati's head that he can pass a ball 15, 20 yards into the midfield, if you don't allow him to do it, it doesn't happen. If you use your strengths which are, uh, you've got some pacey wide men. Tete showed in his first couple of games, you know, when Leicester pinged in four goals against Spurs and four against Villa. He showed that he was more than willing to make that run in behind and and stretch the defence. Leicester aren't playing that kind of ball. I'm not saying I want to see it every time, but what I'm saying is I'd rather see that and the ball be in the channel for somebody to at least put a defender under some pressure than Daniel Amati trying to play a low pass into an absolute hospital area. And, you know, Samari is just... He, he doesn't want the ball in that area. And this is, again, Samari should have done better. Amati should have done better. No question about it. But if if Rodgers isn't in, as insistent on this style of football at this moment in time, the ball never goes into Samari, who's running towards his own goal in his own half and, and, and under a bit of pressure. He should still have done better with it. There's there's no chance he's a Leicester City footballer for me. This, this summer, he, ha- he has to go, no question. He's, he's been given time, 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 chance after chance. He's, he's not there for me. But if Everson is told not to play that ball into the centre of midfield, that goal doesn't happen either. Now, I'm not excusing the rest of the performance. Blackburn were much more up for it than Leicester in, in large parts of the game. They wanted the 50-50s more. They ran harder. They jumped higher. They, 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 they worked their socks off for the, for, the, for the victory. But they didn't create the goals. We created the issue. And that is a tactical issue. The tactical issue is the selection of the team and the insistence on playing that way. If you want to build your team around that passing style largely, fine. But you have to look at the moment at a team that recorded the lowest ever expected goals stat since it was be- since it's been recorded 
against Arsenal. You've looked at a team that completely capitulated in the in after the first half an hour against Manchester United. And you're looking at a team that's getting overrun by a championship side and you think, hang on, lads, let's make our game 10, 15 yards longer and not get ourselves in this pickle. And it didn't happen. And then you've got individuals who are way off the pace. They come back out for the second half. It just no, no good decisions were made on Tuesday night, were they? No, not at all. Um, and, and, and more than that, it's... It's the belief in some of these players because you've got Wilfred and Didi on the bench. Now, if they didn't want to play Mendy, bring him on. Similar player, but surely a better option. A more well-known player than than the Samar. You know, Wilfred and Didi comes on. And also, they weren't an overly... Lot- I know they had a big, big man down the centre, but it wasn't they had like a power pack midfield. So you've got Dennis Pratt there. You could play him as, an, as, as the anchoring role in midfield and have more buzzy players kind of further forward. It it was, it was just really poor. Obviously, the lack of Madison and lack of a Tielemans, etc. But really, really poor. But so so they whimper out of the cup. You're playing against a Southampton side on Saturday evening. Southampton then are in the FA Cup as well. And yes, I know they're going to play at home against Grimsby. But surely, if you're going to play your first team, then you're going to have a an, an extra day anyway. But also, you're playing against an opposition who are going to be the same. It, I know you might want that slight advantage, but come on. You know, you're in no position to do that. And whether people believe in, you know, momentum or... But I just like to use the term inform. You're an inform side. You go and beat Blackburn. You're through to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Regardless of what you've done in the league in the last few games, that's going to give you a boost. And then you're going to your big or one of the big rivals in the league, and you're going to have your best player back in the team, that's a boost. Who knows? There could have been a few goals for Vardy, Inacho, Barnes, Tete. It it could have happened. But no, they go down to the South Coast. So I, And they play Southampton in a very, very strange game. Now, there's been an awful lot of you know, chat and talk afterwards from fans, either online, in person, etc. And uh, a lot of it regarded the manager, and I can understand why. Um, and I think everyone's pretty much on the same kind of uh, thought process there. And we'll, we'll finish finish on Rogers, but because I don't think there's going to be an awful lot of change really. But that performance, I I do differ to a lot of the a lot of the arguments. It doesn't matter whether you play well and lose or you play poorly and win it's about getting the points on the board that's all that matters at this point and I don't think Leicester played really well but I don't think they were dreadful right I Kelechi Inacho he scored the goal against Blackburn he's been in great form since he's come back in the side he could have been playing till now and he still wouldn't have scored but that's not because you know you know he's been doing well. I'm not going to basically relinquish any blame off him because there were some absolute shockers there. The header I know it might have grazed off Voltvas before that. That was a terrible miss. I had Voltvas at sixty-six to one score first, so I'm annoyed at that. Um, the second header was arguably the worst miss 
we'll probably see all season. And then the third, the blaze over the top of the crossbar when you could have easily, well, got it on target for a start. I know we haven't had a shot on target for what, a couple of games, but that was poor and his confidence had completely gone. I agree with the decision to actually leave him on the field, but Madison has come out in social media to reply to, it was actually Rob Tanner, um, who works for The Athletic, formerly of Leicester Mercury, his, his column about Leicester being... Uh, bang in trouble and he he disagreed with a few things saying oh yeah we played really well just missed a load of chances again you look at the replies to that and there's so many fans going I agree with you I thought we actually were all right but we still missed the chances and we're still right down there and banging a relegation fight it doesn't quite matter um so yeah the overall result is shocking Southampton were taught awful weren't they they were awful they had the penalty saved by Ward fair play went the right way well struck penalty it wasn't it was that good height for a goalkeeper but you know fair play to him and then they had that five minutes afterwards uh which Roger said in his post-match interviews after the game you know they were on top for five or six minutes and they scored I think it was a good goal a well-worked goal you have to question why Leicester got that high defense not too sure at all, especially with Southampton having runners from midfield like an Alcaraz. And you've got to question the keeper again. Good finish, but he's on the edge of the area. The ball's travelled a long way before it's past the keeper who's gone with his legs. I'm sorry, he's not a first-team goalkeeper. It's not a massive error, but I was with people who are not Leicester fans and they all went, your keeper should have done better there. All of them, straight away. And I was like, yes, exactly. Um, Alcaraz looks a, a bit of a decent player, actually, for Southampton. And the worst thing was I had to do commentary on highlights the next day, which was <laughs> which was particularly galling. But, uh, but there we go. So, yeah, I don't think Leicester were that poor. But it's ultimately about the result. Without Madison, they're gone as a side, aren't they, really? He was the best player on that pitch by an absolute country mile. And without him... We're buggered. We really are. We, so we need to keep him fit. He's all for the cause. Um, they reckon that Johnny Evans will be back. I, I, I would give him the armband. You know, I'd give him the armband and say, look, mate, here's... We we all know he's... Let's, let's be honest. We all know he's going to go. He's going to go at the end of the season. They're going to try and pin him down. If he stays, fantastic. But if he goes, which he's more likely to do, then they, okay, you can understand it. Give him the captain's armband because he's he's at least fighting for the cause. Try and build one or two partnerships on that pitch with players who are going to play. I'm thinking Tete and Ricardo, who should have been better again. Um, someone like Castagna helping out Barnes down the left. He's going to try and do that, and, and I can see that. But these are the players who are going to try and get us through this period now because we are really, really in trouble. I like the fact that Madison came out fighting against Rob Tanner. I don't think uh, Rob Tanner is necessarily trying to be overly negative, but he's he's writing uh, for a subscription website and he's writing something that people that he needs people to read ultimately, and that they need people to read. And and that everything that Rob Tanner says is factually correct, but what he the opinion that he builds is not one that's shared by James Madison. I, I like the way that Madison came out to defend the team at that point. Um, it shows that there is still some fight in a dressing room that that we've previously said on this podcast. Looks a bit quiet, looks a bit like it's lacking some characters. It misses Madison. 
uh, absolutely for his for the way that he leads the team with the ball, but also he's he's clearly got that winning mentality, hasn't he? Um, he's he's dealt with a few knockbacks over the last few years. He's come back from injury after injury, and uh, and arguably got better and better each time. And you you've hit the nail on the head there. We Leicester City are pretty much nailed on for relegation unless James Madison starts most of the rest of the games between now and the end of the season because ultimately I don't see any other forward-thinking player on the pitch. Certainly not one that can get a ball to anybody that's going to do any damage with it. So you, you can see where the the pockets that he picked the ball up in um, against Southampton. He, he was turning players inside out and some of his deliveries were excellent and not more so than in the very last minute you know Jews Behold recycles the corner Madison you're looking at him you're thinking deliver it no he checks back deliver it no he checks back again you think he's overplaying this he works the perfect amount of space to put in an unbelievable ball uh, for Suter to head onto the bar and you know no other player in our team's got that level of ability and it's nice to see that he's not a player who knows that he's going in the summer and is downing tools. He doesn't just want to sort of cruise through to the summer and then get his move. And whether he's doing it for selfish reasons or not, I, I don't really care, as long as he is still fully committed to to the cause while he's in the team. It's, it's almost like uh, some people have been putting up pictures of Vardy on social media over the last few days and said one last hurrah, one last story for him to write to keep Leicester in the Premier League. Unfortunately, it's not going to be Jamie Vardy that does that. It's going to be James Madison, 100%. And and, and it's, it's a marked difference between the teams that start with Madison in them and the teams that, that don't. He he makes a massive difference. Defensively, for the Southampton goal, it's, it's an absolute disaster. If you they, they obviously paused it at certain points to check the the offside with VAR and, and, and a few other bits like that. But my goodness me... Fast and Suter, I'm just I'm looking at them, and and I'm thinking, what what kind of position are you in there? Because the the fullback's gone tight, fine. Fast for me is five or ten yards too far over to the left hand side. He's got absolutely no need to be there because there's no chance that anybody's getting in that area behind the fullback because the ball is pinned to the player who the fullback has gone tight to. Fast is not covering a ball into the channel there because that ball is not on. It's not coming. If he's five or ten yards further inside, he's on the man. And then he doesn't get to play his way out of there. He doesn't find an, an unbelievable amount of space between Fast and Suter. And then how many times over the last few weeks have we seen Suter just to step behind the rest of the defence and 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 in, in the insistence on playing that line? which is completely unnecessary. If your fullback's gone in tight to a ball on the halfway line, you know that the Southampton player has got no choice but to lay it back or lay it inside to keep the move going. So you've got to make sure that you're dropping off there. Suter and Fass have been done by one player, both of them, who's just drifted into a, an unbelievable amount of space between them and just gone, thank you very much. Danny Ward should be saving it. Well, not Danny Ward. A Premier League goalkeeper should be saving that. No question for me. Um, it's like you said, it's not a glaring error, but he's he's again. He's, he's where is he in his area? He's he's in a he's in a space where he's not giving himself time to watch the distance from the edge of the area. He's not giving himself 
the opportunity to close the player down and rush the shot or, or, or decrease the distance between ball and goalkeeper. He's right bang in the middle of nowhere and then he's falling to the floor and trying to stick a stud out on it. It's I'm no goalkeeper, I'm no goalkeeping expert, but most goalkeepers in the Premier League 90-odd percent of the time save that, don't they? Uh, and you, you're not, I'm not blaming him for the defeat because it's certainly not his fault. Um, he saved a penalty, yes, reasonably comfortable one, but he still saved it. It's Again, it's one defensive switch off and a complete inability to convert at the other end. What, what what's concerns me most is how fragile Leicester look because one tiny thing can go against them or even not in this case one one thing went for them in the in terms of the penalty save that spurred Southampton on more than it did Leicester and that's spurred on Southampton's best spell of the game uh, and then all of a sudden they find themselves 1-0 up you cannot do what Rodgers has done and come out in the post-match press conference and what Madison has done on social media and said if we keep playing like that we'll be fine no, you won't, because you played like that and you lost one nil to bottom of the Premier League. It doesn't like I completely agree with you, Pete. It does not matter how you how well you play. Southampton found a way to win that match one nil, and Leicester City didn't. And that is what's going to keep you in the Premier League and what's not. The problem with the side for me is we we've seen this team and the majority of the players who are still there uh, over the last well over Rogers' reign. Because we'll come, we'll kind of just touch on the manager now. We've, we've seen these players over the years with Rogers. They are not a bad side when they're playing well, and they've played well for the majority of the time that Rogers has been here. That's that's fine. You don't beat Le- uh, Tottenham four-one. You don't win away at Villa. You know you don't do have those results in recent times without being a decent side. But they are, and you use the best word, fragile unbelievably fragile that's why you need the certain players in the side who are going to give you that you're going to give you that part of the game that the rest are missing so at the moment Papi Mendy is an absolutely essential member of the team because he has that in midfield James Madison has that in midfield even though he's not been playing too well recently Jewsbury Hall at least has that in midfield you'd also maybe throw in say a Dennis Pratt as well who seems to be the first person to fall by the wayside if anyone needs changing, if anyone needs bringing on, if any um, formation needs moving around. He seems to be the fall guy. But for, and, and, and also Akleshi Inacho, who had, let, let, let's put it out there, he was absolutely god-awful dreadful against Southampton. Pathetic. Like, a Premier League striker, to do that, that was awful. Absolutely dreadful performance. But he still has that. He has that in him. That's all very well and good. But then they need to be put onto the field of play in a formation that gets the results, etc., etc., etc. Also, if that's the case at Leicester, which it has been for the best part of now two years, what's being done away from the club? What's being done away from the, the King Power at the training ground? That's what I want to know. And that's really where Rogers falls down in many people's eyes. It's that. We know that Brendan Rodgers can put out a football team onto the field of play in a formation where they can play nice football and then when it clicks, they get results and they can go far and they can win trophies and be very successful like we have been. And 
that's great. That's great. And he'll say the right things. And he'll be a stable, sensible manager. And that covers an awful lot. And it, it really does. But then when it goes wrong, what happens then? He seems to be immensely unlucky with those subs late on, which do seem like sensible decisions in, in some quarters, but it didn't work. But then to carry on doing them is a bit silly, really, and a bit stupid. But also, when things are going wrong, can he put them out in a different form formation? Yes, he can. But they'll still play the same way. Just because they've got three at the back instead of the four, they'll still play the same way. So that's a problem for me. And the ability, the inability to see that and make early changes is another thing as well. And I, I still think that there's every chance he won't be at the club in the summer through discussions with the club and, and maybe a amicable will we'll kind of finish now. Maybe even something that would be announced before the season ends. I just don't think they'll sack him. I don't think they'll sack him. Even if we end up in the bottom three in four games' time, I don't think they'll sack him because I don't think they'll bring in a, a manager who they would want to be in charge to try and keep them up. Unless someone emerges from the mist and goes, I can do that. Or, you know, get sacked at another club, for example. I mean, Watford today, funnily enough, Watford changed their manager. Who would have thought it? But they're putting Chris Wilder on a contract just to get them in the playoffs, it seems. To try and miraculously turn things around and then they'll go again. But that's their thing. Um, it's... I, I just don't think they'll be in charge. I, I, and also... And because there's going to be so many changes in the summer, and we won't really kind of go into that now because that's a that's a podcast in its own, I don't want Brendan Rodgers to be there at the start of next season because I think with a new Leicester side, or for the majority of the side, will be slightly different. I think it needs a fresh pair of eyes. I would worry if Rodgers was in charge. I'll be immensely worried. I think it just needs it. Time has taken its toll on him at Leicester. I think it's run its course massively. That the wheel has turned. Whatever metaphor you want to use, it needs to change. And I don't think they'll do it now because I think the managers they'll want to replace him is probably in work at the moment. I mean, if 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 you're just going to go down that route right now, I've always said that uh, the work that Vincent Company is doing at, at to Burnley is very good. He would move from Burnley if they win the league, which they will do. Surely he would move to Leicester. What a great stepping stone to then another big club in maybe a few years' time. And, of course, we can go down the Celtic route again. I think having Ange uh, Postacoglu, I think his name is, that he seems, first of all, he seems a really good bloke and also very, very successful um, that would be an, a very interesting appointment. But that's, again, a different argument. But Rogers's downfall and Rogers's not his errors, his weaknesses, which we all know, just really came to bear in these two games. Mainly, mainly Blackburn. For me, massive proportion of it, Blackburn. Because, again, those chances that Iheanacho missed. But, uh, yeah, just... And I, I think now looking at the amount of anti-Rogers things. And a lot of them were disappointing as well. It wasn't just a personal attack and this and the other. It was more kind of, 
we know what faults you have. And unfortunately, this was all too predictable. But I think now, on this latest downturn, I think the more there's more anti-Rogers now than there were pro before, by a long way. And I think a lot of people would say, if they're offered a different manager in the summer and saying, thanks Rogers, you've been really good. You've won the FA Cup, etc. It's been very successful, but time to go. Yeah, I think it is It is time to go, but not right at this moment. I, I, t- I totally agree. Leicester aren't a club, especially under this ownership, where they would sack somebody with a short-term plan. Mainly because it's quite an expensive thing to do, especially to sack a manager whose compensation package is reportedly fairly sizable. And, you know, Leicester aren't a Watford that are going to keep chopping and changing their managers. They're not They're not going to keep that managerial carousel going round and round and round. It doesn't fit with the way that the club's being run. You know, we talked at the top of the podcast about the, the, the strategy, the financial sort of direction that it's going in, the, the business plan, everything like that. Having a manager in for whatever's left, what's left, 15 games, 13 games, something like that, um, don't it doesn't fit the vision of the club it doesn't fit the club strategy at all um i a, a few few months ago on the podcast we we were saying that there was still part of us that would consider enabling brendan rogers to oversee the the squad shake up in the summer um with the the kind of viewpoint that he as the man that's worked with them for the last few years would be best placed to understand the areas of weakness within the squad both in terms of the players abilities and their and their temperaments and their their attitudes um i would now i i've come away from that and i think the the summer is the time to part ways but it's got to be early doors like you said even possibly before the end of the season because you know fair enough last game of the season give him a round of applause and say thanks a lot because we have had some very good times We've uh, we've played some very nice football. We've won the FA Cup for the first time in our history. Nobody can take that away, um, but it doesn't need to end on a really sour note. I think it will be a mutual agreement, even if it's not. The the club statement will state that it is, and usually does these days, doesn't it? Unless you're Watford, um, but it it's got to start early doors because what you need is you need your new manager in place. In, in plenty of time to work with the recruitment team who obviously as a club they will identify uh, their own targets they'll have a big old database um, Leicester's scouting team and head of recruitment and director of football and all that will will all be working together regardless of whether the manager's going to be there or not but the new manager's got to run his sort of eyes over the over the squad and and see what he wants what's going to fit his style of play and ultimately it will probably work out to be a little bit cheaper in the summer for Leicester to have a new manager than than Brendan Rodgers because the only way now that you are going to increase the the sort of positivity around the the club in terms of the the playing staff and and therefore the fans is by having a big old shake-up. And if Rodgers stays to oversee that, that's got to involve more players coming in and out. Whereas if Rodgers goes and a new manager comes in and changes the dynamic a little bit, um, 
much like Sean Dyche has done at Everton as an example and as somebody that was in our conversations when uh, we were asked who who would replace Rodgers. This is the problem with now. You, you sack him, where do you go? The, the, the be, it'd be directionless unless, like you said, somebody uh, who is in Leicester's long-term vision becomes available. But Dyche has gone in at Everton. He's done the classic Sean Dyche. He's banned snoods. He's got him doing the bleep test every, all, all, every day, all day, every day. Um, he's playing four five one, but you know he's he's motivated players to to put in a collaborative effort to be able to get results. And yes, he's not won loads of games, but Everton aren't getting turned over anymore. Uh, I'm not saying Leicester are getting turned over as such, but but you know if you get a manager in who's got very clear viewpoint, very clear standards, and can come in and stamp their authority straight away you might see that some of the players that previously would have been part of the mass exodus may you may see the way that they fit into this new manager's system a way that they respond to this manager better than they've responded to Rodgers you may see that this new manager likes a certain player uh, more than Rodgers does values them more highly instantly a player that's valued more highly by the manager is feeling better about themselves and therefore their performance levels improve you would then possibly see that Leicester wouldn't have to spend as much money because you're not going to kick everyone out because you've kicked the manager out and you've got a new bloke in who is going to change things a bit with his style so I think I think it is now an essential part of the shake-up for Leicester for next season onwards that there's somebody new at the helm in the summer. So the next game for Leicester is on uh, well, on Saturday at three against Chelsea, who are at the time of recording, they're currently winning by two goals to nil against Dortmund. So it's a return of Chilwell, return of Fafana. Um, it's the return of Kante. It's going to be difficult against a side who have been struggling so much, but maybe just starting to click. But a, a game which... they. You can get at Chelsea. I still don't quite rate the goalkeeper um, as highly as many. It can make you an acrobatic save, but still. Um, it's going to be a very difficult game, and it's going to be a game which I think is going to be quite low scoring. It's Is it a game where we, we, we need to win? It would be nice. But when you have Brentford, who are playing very well, but then Palace, Villa, Bournemouth... Yes, you go Man City, you got Wolves at home, Leeds, Everton, Fulham. Um, you don't really want to leave it to the Liverpool, Newcastle, and then at home against West Ham. But there's games there that Leicester can pick up points. And in a very strange way, I, I look at the game of the weekend and I can see Leicester picking up a point against a side again who will keep it fairly tight. I don't think you have an awful lot to worry about going forward. Of course, there's good players. But overall, I think it's a game which Leicester, if on form, can get something. There's only one area of the pitch which I really, really struggle with seeing Leicester getting anything. And that's in the middle of the park. They've got Enzo Fernandez, who's an excellent player. I know he costs them, you know, an absolute arm and a leg. But he's an excellent player. They've got really good central midfielders who are going to have a really... Good time against Isles. Let's face it, that's going to be the case. I think Leicester are going to have to be sharp up front. They're going to have to do something which, well, they're going to have to take their chances. They're going to have to get a shot on target for a start, but they're going to have to take their chances. But 
I can just see Chelsea dominating this in the midfield. They're going to have to rely on maybe one or two errors from Chelsea, but they're going to have to take their chances when they come along. Again, I just see Chelsea dominating this game very easy in the middle of the park. But I, 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 apart from the goalkeeper, I can see our backline, strangely enough, actually in this game, holding their own against this Chelsea attack. It's a shame Christensen ain't playing, but with the two fullbacks negating what pace Chelsea have, I, I just, especially on the Ricardo side, I just see Leicester staying in the game. Hopefully, it doesn't turn into that one-nil Arsenal defeat, which was the most comfortable one-nil you've ever seen. But I can see this even possibly ending nil-nil. And that's the scoreline I'm going to go for, which is a very rare scoreline to go for on the podcast, Rob. But I'm going to go nil-nil. You know, the other week when we were predicting the score against Arsenal and we were convinced it was going to be uh, top of the show on match of the day, seven-goal thriller, I think. I think I might have gone for a 4-3 or something ludicrous like that. And it ended up being, as you just said there, one of the most boring one nils you could ever ever wish to not see. So what I might do this time is predict something really boring like you have, and then we might see the opposite again uh, and see some goals flying in. the The thing here against Chelsea is they're winning as we speak two nil against Dortmund, which on on aggregate would put them through. And um, they've beaten Leeds at the weekend one nil. And before that, they couldn't get a win or a goal for love nor money. And it's kind of a mirror of Leicester City. This, it, Let's say Chelsea do win tonight, and that's two wins on the bounce. Um, Leicester did that a few weeks ago against Spurs and Villa. But then they still showed that even, even though we were all kind of going, oh yeah, Leicester are back, come on, look at the difference the new signings have made. Here we go, this is, this is the momentum we needed. Uh, and then they proved that a couple of things went against them in the Manchester United game, uh, including De Gea being nominated twice for save of the month in the same game. Uh, and all of a sudden, the heads drop, that fragility comes back that we've mentioned this in this episode, uh, and you get turned over 3-0. I don't think Chelsea beating Dortmund tonight and Leeds at the weekend is is them out of the woods by any stretch. I think if, if they... If there is a, a turning point in the game, there is a moment or two that could cause them to to have the self-doubt that they've had since, well, for, for most of the season, really, then then it could quite easily happen to them. It's basically going to be who can keep their heads better. And it might well be that they're so cautious, both sides, that it does play out into one of those really boring nil-nils that you've predicted there, Pete. Uh, I'm going to go on the side of optimism because there is nothing else for it but to be positive. And I will hope that Chelsea are the ones that make that defensive mistake uh, that enable Leicester to have the moment. They're going to score with their only shot on target of the game, the only shot on target of the entire game, and win it 1-0. If, for example, Rob, Leicester get beat at home uh, by Chelsea and I'm I'm talking four or five um, and then maybe there's results go against Leicester you know win for Everton win for Leeds etc and Leicester find themselves just above the relegation zone or, or maybe even just slightly in it could you see anything happening at managerial level if they get beat let's just say they get turned over 5-0 and 
do, you, do you, could you see anything happening? I have literally said about five or ten minutes ago that I can't see Leicester being so, being so short sighted to to sack a manager at this stage of the season without being able to get in the long term replacement. But if you know, are we in an absolute disaster right now? No, but we could be in a few weeks' time, especially if we do get, like you say, get absolutely battered by Chelsea. Brentford, the, the a week on Saturday is a, a tough game away at Brentford. Um, if if the board see no way of Brendan Rodgers rescuing the situation, then I don't see what else they can do really. And a lot, a few clubs have proven that the new manager bounce can just be enough, especially with a squad of the quality of Leicester, where you'd have to put it, even though it's weaker than it has been in previous years, you'd still probably put it if you if you sat down and considered everything, you'd put Leicester comfortably somewhere in the middle. You'd 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 say that they've got a good old buffer between between the quality of the squad and the quality of those squads who would be in the bottom three. Um, it may well be that if if things continue to be the results continue to be desperately bad and there are a couple of hidings along the way they might have no choice but to to get rid of him but it would have to be um it, it would it can't be a knee jerk reaction and i'm sure it won't be they're very astute business people they will no doubt they'll no doubt have a shortlist of managers right now that are gettable that they could get in if they decided to to boot rogers out it, it's a really, really tough call because the 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 financial implications of Leicester getting relegated are huge, especially when you look at the losses that they've posted that that you mentioned earlier on. It it would put them in a very, very difficult position. And and can can you see it happening? I I really I really don't know. In case you can't tell, I'm very indecisive on this one. I can't in that game, but if they lose 5-0 to Chelsea and then they go to Brentford and lose, you've got... That's the 18th of March. The next game is on the 1st of April. And so on the 1st of April, that's 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 a long time. You've got the international games. If you're going to do it, you're losing 5-0 to Chelsea, you lose away at Brentford, 3-0, 2-0, very... And you're right in that zone. That's when the button will be pressed, if they're going to press it. Um... That it'll either be pressed or they'll turn around and say, no, Rogers is here to the end of the season. They might even make a, an announcement to say, oh, well, actually, we're going to go in a different direction, but it will be at the start of next season. So, you know, the players know, exa- you know exactly what's going on. And even if it gets to the point where it, where that happens, I can't see it being a bit of an issue, really. If Rogers turns around and goes, yes, I will be leaving at the end of the season and not with a game and a half to go or two games, you know what I mean? where we're safe in mid-table. If we're in relegation trouble and he says with eight games to go, I won't be here next season, I I just look at this side and the way they play, I don't think it would be a problem. It might even loosen up some of the players even, knowing that they're going to be trying to impress a, a new boss. It might even make a few of them go, actually, yep, yeah, it might be the end for me. Let's keep Leicester in the league. Someone like a Madison, who surely by now probably knows he's, he's, he wants to go, etc., but still playing his heart out for the club. And and then if there's a decision made that he's actually going to go earlier than, than normal, then at the end of the season, then at least everyone knows. So that, that could be the case. I know it's a slightly strange position to be in, but um, yeah, I can see it being done if they lose heavily against Chelsea and lose 
against Brentford, but not beforehand. Um, but the one good bit of news this week, and we're going to finish on, uh, a very good bit of news, actually, and that's the fancy football, Rob. So, the Fancy Football League, the for Fox 8 podcast FPL League, the top 10 is as follows. In 10th place, up into 10th, is uh, Glenn's Maple Foxes, Glenn Richardson, on uh, 1,645. Up into 9th, uh, Olivia Tooney with uh, Schmeichel Jackson, excellent name, 1,649 points. In 8th place, Ash Taylor, Taylor made, same points, 1,649. Keep that number in mind because down into 7th, it's Joe Healy, Vardy Annuals, the same points. Down into sixth place, Paul Towers, FC Bobby Dazzlers, the same points. And now the top five, Emmanuel Naroka with a TBGFC, 1,653 points. Up into fourth, it's Aman Gulati with Team Dalek, 1,662. Top three are as follows Liam Squires, Glasgow Celtic with 1,671. Three points further. Uh, higher in the league than him, and down into second place, Jack R. Emerson Blues, 1,674. And leading by one point is Adam Wise, back of the netto, on 1,675 points. Well done to Adam, he's top of the league. But looking at the amounts that they scored this week, they all pale into insignificance. In fact, actually, no, Glenn, you got more than me. Uh, then. Myself with Obi Wan Iwobi nil, Pete Selby up into 35th place, Rob. 71 points. I had Gakpo, I had Salah, I had Miatoma in my side. I actually had Ward in goal, and because of the penalty save, um, he had got 11 points. So an excellent week for me, up into 35th. But, Rob, and as I was scrolling down to find you, you have were only a few points behind me in a few places. You've had a dreadful old week. You can't contain yourself, can you? You cannot. <laughs> this is this is a podcast, not a vlog or anything else like that. And you, everybody listening, could could hear how much you were smiling when you introed this this FPL section of the podcast. I've had I've not had a disastrous week for quite a long time, which was why I managed to creep up towards catching you. Uh, I saw a mate at the weekend who was like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm chilling. I'm going to win our, our Friends League. No bother. And I was like, have you looked in the last few weeks? He was like, no, 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 because I was like over 100 points ahead. And I was like, I've been I've been chipping away at it. I've been a good 15, 20 above average most weeks, you know, closing the gap. And, and then I've hit a 27 this week. Nothing. Nobody did anything good for me apart from Ivan Tony, who... Um, looking at it on the app, is owned by a third of the players uh, in the game. And, you know, I had De Gea on minus one. I thought United would turn Liverpool over, how very, very wrong I was. So I captained Rashford. Uh, You know, De Bruyne and Haaland didn't really do anything. Uh, Arsenal were typically Arsenal. I've had a bad week, but you know what? There's still a long way to go yet, and I don't think you can quite see me right over your shoulder, but I'm still there in the distance. I'm kind of... You're you're into the next corner on the F1 track as I'm just coming round the previous one, so you're aware that I'm still there. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a really actually interesting couple of weeks. I've got there's a couple of teams playing twice this week. Then there's a quite a few teams who aren't playing the week after, and then you've got the double game week. But of course, there's a long way to go before that because of uh, of internationals, etc. So it's quite a quite an interesting time, in fact. And uh, there's a, there's a I've got wild card plans this week. Even though my team is really good, I'm looking ahead for the next two. Um, so yeah, there's a little a little bit of a a tip. I don't really know whether that's a, a tip or not. But anyway, that's it for the podcast. Doom and gloom around the King Power. It doesn't matter whether you're a, a, a Rogers in or Rogers out. That's not really the thing. It's it's just we've we've got this team and we know that they can play well. But they were, I mean, quite frankly, what was Ianacho doing on Saturday? No idea. But bowing out the cup in terrible style against Blackburn, who are now playing, what, Sheffield United in the next round. Just imagine, I know Sheffield United are playing very well and looking like they're pretty good for promotion. They've got some big games coming up in the league. But if I offered you a, a, a high-flying championship side in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup, you would have taken it. And you never know with the draw. It could have been could have been Grimsby. I'm still not entirely sure how they beat uh, Southampton, but there you go. Uh, that's it for the podcast. Fingers crossed, Rob, that we get something across uh, against Chelsea, but uh, we shall see. Put it this way, I'll take a nil-nil right now. <laughs>